Hi, I'm Tammy Rodman. I'm Reynolds Chapman. And I'm Keith Daniel. Welcome to Who Is My Neighbor, a podcast about what it looks like to love your neighbor. Every city has a story, and our wonderful city of Durham, North Carolina has woven our stories together. This podcast is an invitation to join us as we journey through Durham's history of pain and hope and discover what God is speaking to us in this moment. Come with us as we listen to the voices of the Samaritans. In this first season, we are asking a question to respond to our present moment. Who is my neighbor amid a pandemic and a history of racial injustice? In today's episode, we will speak with Javonia Lewis, Tamara Vanier, and Davina Vanier about education, reporting, reopening schools, and what they have to do with racial justice. Javonia Lewis and Tamara and Davina Vanier. Javonia is a wife, mother, and nationally certified and licensed clinical mental health counselor. She is the founder of PAC. Parents of African American Children Durham, and the founder of Epic Empowered Parents and Community. Javonia has served with Durham Committee on the Affairs of Black People's Education Committee, the Durham Council, PTA, her son's schools, PTA, Durham Public Schools Foundation, and the City of Durham's Race Equity Task Force. In July 2020, she was sworn in as a school board member with Durham Public Schools Board of Education. Tamara is presently pursuing her bachelor's degree in social work from NCCU, wonderful university. She is the mother of four school-aged children, one of which is lending her voice to the conversation this morning, Davina Vanier, is a rising 10th grader at Southern High School of Energy and Sustainability, she is a member of the volleyball team and the school chorus. Javonia, Tamara, and Davina, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having us. Thank you. Thank you. We want to start by hearing your stories this morning. Uh, Durham Cares, uh, if you are not too familiar with it, um, stories are very important to us, hearing the voices of those historically uh, as well as in the present. So share your stories with us. Tell us what formed you, made you passionate about education, not only for your children, but for all children, and especially for children, uh, black and brown children. All right, we want to start out this morning, um, today, hearing your stories. Tell us what formed you, made you passionate about education, not only for your own children, but for the welfare of other black and brown children in this community. Javonia, share your story with us, please. Yes. I grew up, I, I stumbled to say, where do you start? There's so much uh, what makes up the essence of a person and um, who they are and how they come to be. But I think that um, just in starting, I've always had and grew up in a family um, with a village mentality. Um, I've always have um, lived with my mother and additional family members, and we took care of each other in that village. So when I became a mother, and I have three boys now that were in Durham Public, that are in Durham Public Schools, and at the time, five years ago, um, one of my kids was um, regressing in his schoolwork, and I could not figure out what was going on, and I felt like we were doing everything that we were supposed to do 
um, having teacher conferences, reading 30 minutes every night, you know, following what's going on, being involved in an engaged parent. And um, it just, we weren't able, he wasn't seeming to keep up and we just couldn't figure, and we knew that he was bright. Um, and in that later in the semester, we found out that the school was labeled a focus school. And focus school meaning that they had an achievement gap that um, by the race, desegregated by the races, in regards to um, who was shown proficiency on the end of grade testing. And there was a 70% gap between the black and the white students, and it had been a longstanding gap. So in that moment, um, the PTA president thought it was really good. It would be really good for the black parents to get together to hear what's going on and try to work on solutions together. So we formed um, a meeting with the black parents to talk about what was going on with to first to find out about there being an achievement gap in our school because it wasn't widely talked about. It wasn't that um, it was as though there were no issues and this was supposed to be a good school. Um, so we've gotten into conversations about this is a good school for who, who is showing growth in this school, who is getting um, equity and treatment. And from this parent organizing group, um, this first meeting, parents realized that they weren't alone that they were having similar stories and concerns and that there were some systemic, systemic things that were happening that was not allowing our kids to be successful. That was not highlighting um, their brilliance and genius and who they were, their cultures and things that were being brought to the table. So as I um, had been advocating earlier in that year for my child, and then all these parents came together and realized we have similar stories and similar histories, going back to realize that it takes a village that's where we began to form and organize and um, organically parents of African-American children was founded. And we did work in our school in that first year where we um, worked alongside the teachers. We got them to really get to know our kids and see our kids. We um, got other parents involved and we really believe that standing in the gap where the parent cannot or chooses not to be um, at the school, because engagement is different. That's a trigger word for me, because we know our parents are engaged in different ways, and it's not about the judgment. So we wanted to make sure we kept communication up. We worked with all kids. We brought culturally responsive books and readings in for our students. And in that year, on the EOGs, um, end of grade testing, um, the African-American kids uh, showed the greatest growth in the district. And all we did was showed up gave awareness and highlighted what was going on and worked with the school to get to solutions. And when I became aware of focus schools, I started, you know, escalating the problem and seeing what was going on. And in the district, there were six schools identified as becoming focus schools. So with that, um, some of those parents from those schools and PTA said, you know, can you tell us what you guys are doing? We want to you know, replicate that. And that's where it began to grow. Um, and then under Three years, you know, we were in 300%, uh, it was 300% growth into the Durham Public Schools with other people forming PECs. And it's really about um, intentional engagement of African-American parents, focusing on advocacy efforts to get equity within their schools, to um, create a social network and build social capital as shared amongst parents. And that's what keeps us, you know, connected in community um, and coming together to continue to advocate. And then we... we 
did a lot of work in race equity training, race equity understanding, race equity in education to figure out what's happening that needs to change within the system. So I could talk on and on <laughs> um, about this, but that, so, so that's what the foundation of the work you know, became. And as we went to board meetings, school board meetings, um, I got to um, just share what was happening in our schools, kind of um, grassroots. This is what's happening at the ground. There's policies here, but is that trickling down to practices? And that's what, um, you know, going to these board meetings, give that interest. That's what led me to run for school board and win. And um, fortunately had the, uh, the mentorship of Minnie Fort Brown as she's decided to retire after 16 wonderful years. And, um, you know, just, again, building relationships, talking with stakeholders and looking at, um, again, building community and being there for each other. Tamara, would you like to share with us? So my story kind of starts with the church because I, my husband and I got remarried around 2011. And I also got out of the army at the same time. So um, before that, I, to be honest, I hadn't really put that much focus into then I only have one child. Her education it was kind of like school is where she went. I'm in the army. I got to be in the OR at this time. Is they, you know what I mean? Thank you, thank you for doing it. You know what I mean? Like, and so when I got out of the army, and Dave and I got remarried, and we relocated to North Carolina, we lived in Youngsville, Wake Forest area first. I was kind of like home, like okay, you know, what does education here look like? Well, we were a part of a church body that was heavy on the homeschooling. And when I say heavy, I mean like, you know, like if you don't homeschool, it's a sin. Like, oh, am I muted? Okay. And so um, I was like, okay, so, you know, like I'm this new believer and then I'm still very young, you know, I'm maybe... 28 you know at this time 27 and so I'm like okay okay you know I'm home I'm trying something a homemaker thing you know I'm a homeschooler you know so I kind of started thinking about okay well what do I teach her and so I started teaching her more um like bible focused curriculum and education but as the years went on and David and I kind of started maturing in our faith we realized we're like hey this is kind of excluding the other kids. It's kind of like a, a popularity club. Like, so when you engage kids that aren't homeschooled, you're here and they're here. And that's not how David and I grew up. You know what I mean? Like school is a big part of our lives. And so um, we were like, this isn't right. So we started reading books about how you can be a believer and your kids can go to public school and be okay and everything like that. We're like, yeah, we shouldn't be treating these kids different because it's teaching our kids to grow up and look at those kids like, oh, you're less than or subpar. So once we left that church, we kind of moved to um, Durham and I kept homeschooling. I think she was in, um, you were in third grade, fourth grade, going into fourth grade, I get pregnant um, with Nasiah. By then, I've already had my twins and everything. And I told Dave, I was like, I'm not going to be able to homeschool her because the twins are just born. I'm pregnant with Messiah. I'm tired. He was like, well, you know, I mean, like we already learned, we've grown, like that's what the school is for to help us. 
just put her in school. And I was like, yeah, okay. So I put her in Glen Elementary. And when this was my first time, like re-entering this sphere of what kids go through. And I tell you, her teacher, her fourth grade teacher was putting her math homework. I mean, the math problems this small because she's having to put four, like four days of homework assignment like this. And she's sitting at home. I'm like, Davina, there's nowhere to work these problems out. And so I asked the teacher, I was like, you know, we had to do the homework on a separate sheet of paper. And she's like, yeah, well, I'm like, I don't, we're only allowed to print so much. And, you know, this is where I got. So I was like, bet. I was like, bet. Went up there, bought a bunch of copy paper. I said, this is your paper. Print for the kids, whatever you need to do. So to me, that was the first time I was like, I was like, dang, like these schools, these teachers are really hurting. So fast forward to then the twins get ready for kindergarten, you know, um, and we pulled her back out. I think she wanted to do, we did Connections Academy, but then she went back her seventh grade year. So when she goes back her seventh grade year at Neil, the twins are starting kindergarten. We're like, let's join the PTA, you know? And then we're like, okay, this will be cool. Join the PTA, you know, this is dope, you know? Get in there, they're like, oh yeah, we're gonna, um, the school is changing up the districts because this is a low performing school. So like we were blasted with like, like, any issues wrong with the school? They were like, here you go. This is, this is wrong. This is wrong. This is wrong. And we we're like, okay, hold on. Like we just started doing school again, <laughs> like public school. So we we're like, what's going on? And so at that point we had to fight to get our school off of um, being privatized because of the school to prison pipeline. And because Glenn was a low performing school and we were like, Oh hell no. Like, no, like we're not doing this, you know, because you know, a lot of those kids, once you privatize the school, they can treat them however they want. Once you start um, implementing those discipline measures based on whiteness, then that's when those kids are kicked to, to pretty much charter schools and that. And then guess where they go into the street and then guess where they going to, you know, down the wrong paths. You know what I mean? So that's kind of like where we got jumped into like, oh, we should care about <laughs> what our kids are doing. And, you know, Neil is a whole nother beast. You know, I, another reason she's out of Neil now, but I'm like, yo, I'm, I'm really going to go in for schools because I shouldn't come to a basketball game and have a freaking sheriff watching over me. You know, the kids are used to it. You know, it's nothing to them. You know, I'm the one sitting there like, oh, why is, why, why are they here in groups watching us? Like, I'm, I'm thinking they're afraid I'm going to do something. You know, not necessarily the kids. So I'm just like, mm, this this probably needs a change too. So that's my story. <laughs> Davina, would you like to share something at this point? I just I was just saying, you know, uh, that's what Tamara and I met. We met with the school district takeover, trying to take over Glenn in Lakewood Elementary School, and uh, just I love your energy and passion and the way that you gotten involved and you know and that just that those memories just brought something back for me and I just I appreciate that. And to hear what you say about Neil you know the work continues you know there's um just still structural and systemic things that as a community we have to work on to create an environment where our children are seen loved welcomed um so the basic necessities are there and they can thrive 
You know, um, Dr. Tina Love has a book. I want, we want our kids to do more than survive. Amazing book, you know, and I just, that's what I, that's what I say, you know, the work continues and, and that's just what I want to add. I appreciate you, Tamara, sharing and bringing that memory up for me. Good time. Yeah, so, um, as my mom was telling you, um, um, when I was younger, um, I went to public school and then I was homeschooled. So I didn't really start paying attention to all of this until I got to public school when I was in seventh grade. And when I just got in, I was just like, I was like, wow, this is so cool. Like, like, this is great. Like, everything is so great. Like, I don't know why I was homeschooled in the first place and like everything was fine. And that was in seventh grade. And then eighth grade, I started to pay attention a little more because that's when the stuff with um, Glenn was happening and everything. And I was starting to pay attention to what was happening in like our schools and stuff. And I was like, wow, like we don't have like the same resources. And I was like, um, and uh, yeah, I started just pay attention to it a lot more. And like, and then I went to ninth grade and then I just started seeing like, some kids aren't getting the care they need as students. And it's just kind of sad to see because like, I want to see my peers succeed and I want to see them do good because everyone has a chance to make a, a name for themselves and everyone has a chance to like make a career for themselves. So that's pretty much like how, I mean, it's not much cause I'm still learning and like, I'm still young, that's but that's pretty much it. Now I'm just like starting to be more aware of what's happening around me um, in the schools and just being a lot more woke. I guess that's what it's yeah, what's interesting with Davina is like she's kind of in a twofold, like coming into her blackness, but also taking over her education, you know, like it's kind of like, okay, like learn how to advocate for myself in class, like what classes do I want to take? And then it's like, oh, okay, but 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 still be unapologetically black and learn what it means to be black and be proud and be happy. So it's a good time for her. I'm really proud of her. Amen. Well, it's so inspiring here. All three of you share your stories. And I think what's so what stands out to me is the way that um, Javanya and Tamara, the way that you all have poured into your student, into your children, your own children so much that you are in the schools advocating for them. And that love and that passion for your children is just so inspiring. And it goes even further because once you got into that, you realize I care about my own children, but not only my own children, but all these children who are uh, being face facing this systemic oppression and this racism that they're experiencing in the school. Uh, and you can tell how your love, Tamara, for your daughter is translating because Davina, you share about your care for your peers. You know, you want to see all your peers succeed. So that's just so inspiring. Um, and here we are. We are now facing these difficult times where the schools have faced racism and systemic injustice for years. And now we have this added pressure of COVID. And we have to make decisions and Many people are reading the news or they're trying to hear the phone calls and go into the meetings about what the public schools are going to do. Um, and some decisions have been made. So I would love for you all to share a little bit about how the how do we address some of the equity issues around the public schools right now during COVID? What are some of those issues um, and how do we address them? It's tough because... Um, 
It feels like a lot. There's a lot. It's a lot that the schools aren't getting to actually do what they need to do for the demographic of students that are there, you know. Um, I know with COVID, it was kind of like, oh, you know, what about the families that actually need, um, you know, they're somewhere for their kids to be. And then it's like, okay, I feel like I have a little bit of privilege because it's like, okay, all my classes are online. You know, I can, you know, I have an older daughter. She can help me watch some kids while I do my school. Um, so all online is perfect for me because I'm, I'm allowed to think about them getting sick first. You get what I'm saying? And so, um, with going all online, I think it's the best decision. I just really, really, really would like to see extra money, extra funds, um, like emergency funds, like whatever we need, like this is FEMA, call FEMA in because, I can, I know for a fact there are kids that won't even still be able to do their work. And I feel like they need, they need access to people and spaces that, um, you know, in a small number that can help them be accountable as best they can. Cause like, I like how Javanya mentioned, like whether their parent shows up in this way or not, we're going to take care of this kid. And that's how I feel too. It's like, let, let's just, let's just grab them up and do what we got to do. But I'm not saying a teacher needs to do that, but I'm saying like from a community aspect, like how do we, what are the resources available to help find these kids and, 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 and really zone in on them? You know, like, I, you know, I'll be fine. You know, let's just focus on these, you know, for example, 20 or 50 or, you know, how many kids are in DPS? Uh, at least thousand kids, you know, and let's, let's just really put them on our backs, you know, let's use our resources for that. So so, you know, COVID has really highlighted um, a lot of inequities in our community. And, um, you know, so education is not shy of, of those things being surfaced as well. One of the things that we um, always talk about with our children in schools, uh, our Black children, is relationship building is really important. And for our families and teachers to know one another so that we can work together to get our children to grow, and one of the things that happened when COVID first um, occurred, the school was really good about intentionally reaching out to our families and trying to connect with them. It wasn't a note home. There were phone calls that were going on. And in those phone calls, what do you need? And the, what I heard parents say is, I now feel more connected to the school that we're not inside the building than when we were in the building. That, again, what we've always known about relationships and being communal is important and it's not school um, and family on one side and the students in the middle, but what is the circular relationship and how we work together. So initially, you know, we were all in um, emergency mode, every family, every household, we were truly all in this together and wondering how we were going to survive. So, a month down the road, two months down the road, things are being revealed as far as we already know there's a digital divide. Now we know exactly what the number is. And Durham Public Schools only had enough devices for a third of the students. And there's been so much, um, so much, in, so much um, underfunding in education and supplies and supports. We could not even continue to um, grow all of our kids. That was an equity issue. 
if those families who had devices were to continue learning and advancing, who was being left further behind, right? So um, that's where the curriculum was not to introduce new curriculum, but just let them practice, let them connect. And then at the time, what was most important was just seeing their friends, those who could on Zoom, but then there were so many that were being missed, that were missing out. Um, so where we are now, there are no easy decisions to come back into school with plan B or to remain virtual plan C. And as you all, I'm sure know and are aware, during public schools, we um, decided by unanimous vote of the board, um, of the recommendation of the superintendent to go all virtual for all of our kids. And that is a really hard decision because we know, um, again, the relationship, the connectedness that teachers have with their students when they see them in the classroom, um, to not slip through the cracks, to be to have an adult that can be present to help them navigate technology. For adults who, you know, um, where there is a, even a digital divide to know how to navigate the technology, there's a lot that has to, we have a, a, a lot to be learned in a short amount of time to be ready for school, be all online, but we're safe. We're safer than what would be if the kids were in school um, and not knowing how many would be coming back, about our bus routes, um, and, and keeping our teachers safe and our administrators safe and, and the anxiety and, and the emotional um, toll that this is taking on families' lives. So it's, it's really important now that we consider making sure that we're reaching the families who could slip through the gaps. Our high school kids, you know, preventing dropout, making sure they know someone's connecting with them. You know, it's easy for a teacher to teach kids who have all their basic needs met and can show up and want to learn. But again, what are we doing for those who don't have their basic needs met, have a harder time showing up that we have to kind of pull on a little more while we're in class. So what does that look like while they're at home. We need solutions and supports for that. Yes, Tamara, we need money. We need female emergency funding to really better take care of the needs of our families, even while they're remote. There was another point I was going to make about remote. I can't remember what it was. <laughs> um, oh, and then for those families, you know, one of the things that DPS do is doing right now, and I just saw this, is um, there's a survey going out to see who may need childcare, someone to help. So we're looking at learning centers for families to be able to um, almost like drop their kids off. This is not all developed, but there's work happening, collaborations with city, county, the school, um, other community-based organizations to provide safe spaces or learning centers. So there could be an adult present helping their child navigate on, um, on their devices and one thing that's helping us with equities is we have funding with the CARES Act to give everybody a laptop. So now we have enough laptops based on the number of kids we had in schools last year. We don't know how many we're going to have this year. So we have 30,000 laptops. And now we've also secured hotspots for those families um, who may not have Wi-Fi access. So those are things we're looking at and being conscious of to um, create more equity within our school systems. Um, and we, again, there's a lot of hardworking people. Um, pulling these plans together, you know, it's almost like you're trying to build a plane while flying it. You know, we, we've never been in this, this before in uncharted territories. And you'll see also another thing that's happening, parents are creating pods, pods of learning centers, homeschool, 
Um, but even in that, inequities begin to surface. And what is our community considering when they create these pods? Who's you know, using a race equity lens? Who is um, being considered in these decisions? Who's being left out? Who's being unintentionally har- and, uh, an unintentional harm happening to them? Um, because they're not getting the same resources with families that are pulling together. And that's where, again, um, us as a community, um, faith-based community, have to also make sure we're standing in a gap for our families in these ways if these pods can happen to bring kids together for social, emotional outreach and things of that nature as well. Have you seen examples of these pods being done well? Or how? what are some, some kind of principles that you can imagine to make those pods work well? Yeah. For equity. Not, that's a good question. Like what principles need to be in place for the pods to work well? Hmm. Specific, specifically around equity. Mm-hmm. Well, one of the things is, is where is, is who's and where they're being formed. So if you're talking within your own circle, do you have a diverse circle? So able to do it in your own community, if you only talk to the other white people in your community, the other black people in your community. So again, where are there pockets of places where there's more diversity or happen to, to, to bring in more families together? Or what you're going to get is a lot of segregated pods. And those who have resources to bring in tutors and teachers, you also have to consider about how are we doing our resource allocation that meets more the masses and not just protecting the interests of my own children. Um, those are some of the principles, like who, who is, who's at the table when we're talking about these pods, where are the resources coming from, and is it being spread equitably? So those will be some of the beginning principles um, with these pods. And um, it, it may take, you know, again, some of the school to help pull these together across the district. That's one of the things with um, the PACs is we have PACs within your individual school. But then what PAC Durham is, is I'm at Club Boulevard. But I'm talking to the parents at Pearson Town. So we're now cross communicating and intersecting. And what does that look like and how is that working out? So those are some of the things I would say um, to consider for equity within these pods. Thank you. Davina, you're going to be in uh, school virtually this coming semester after having to do that uh, in the spring. What are some some reflections that you have around what that means for you and your learning and for your friends and your peers at your school? I think that um, when we first got out um, towards the end of the school year, it was like complete chaos, at least in high school. I can't speak for the other school, but in high school, like we didn't know what to do. Like everything was just a mess. And like, like I barely had any assignments and I couldn't get a hold of my teachers and these so-called resources that they were talking to my mom about. They were like, oh, yeah, we have these resources and stuff. Just tell them to get on those. But we haven't even done those. Like we haven't even like used them before and like we haven't set them up or anything. So I feel like yeah that was just kind of a mess and then um I feel like it's definitely going to be interesting and I'm kind of concerned for like that um that some students are gonna have like a lack of motivation because I know that was definitely a problem for me like just like knowing that each day I wouldn't be out being social and I would just be at home in the same room doing schoolwork, talking to the same people every day. Like I, <laughs> yeah, I feel like it's just kind of like, I feel like it's just kind of makes you like down knowing that it's just going to be like that. If that makes sense. Yeah. But, but 
Yeah, the unknown. You feel. So, like, what she's explaining, because the teachers had to rush and throw something together, you know, because they didn't know they were going to be out like that. I think it showed a disparity in how the teachers were able to use those online resources. So, the what she's saying is the main, like, DPS was saying, go to our website. Here's these resources for these high schoolers. But when I would go to them, I'm like, Davina, log into this. She was like, we don't use that. We don't use, what is that? Like, yeah, we never done that. It's like, and that's no knock to the teachers because I understand like, yeah, that doesn't fit how quick and effective it might get the, um, the um, information to them. And two, you know, I don't want to knock the teachers because it may be like, I know these kids are on their phone. I don't want to put them on another online thing. So if I can talk and get them to work in groups, I'm going to do that. So it wasn't a knock towards them, but I think it was a disconnect from Southern to the main school. Cause like Southern's over here like, yeah, we're going to get this information out this way, you know? And um, so it was kind of like, okay, Davina, email your teachers. So it, it was hard, but it was good because she learned how to write an email, you know what I mean? Like to her teacher, which is cool. Good for college, right? You know, um, hey, Miss so-and-so, how do, you know, what would you want me to do? And then, you know, respond, having to help her work to say, what would you like me to work on? Now, um, the teachers didn't have anything planned and I feel like they weren't supported in trying to get stuff out to the kids. So she pretty much did stuff um, they already had did, like literally like written out, turned in before. And that was fine. I mean, nothing hurts with reinforcing things, but it showed a disconnect in what resources are available and what the school actually used. And, you know, I don't know, are they supposed to use those online resources? I thought they were pretty cool. You know, but at the same time, I don't want to, you know, disrespect the environment and what's going on and what time actually looks like. So anyway. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, yeah, for sure. Definitely a social environment is a big um, thing, is a big um, part that, <laughs> sorry. Yeah, having a social environment is definitely something that plays a big part in like learning and succeeding and learning and stuff and like uh yeah I definitely feel like the teachers need to reach out more especially to the students that like need to like they're like constantly walking out classrooms and not paying attention and like having to needing needing to be called down every second and like just need really really need that extra motivation from teachers because they already have that mindset well like yeah like this high school is not really going to teach me anything and like I'm just probably not going to go anywhere after high school so yeah I just want to, um, if I add, if I may, um, they, my kids feel the same way. They're like, I'm tired of seeing the same people, my two brothers. <laughs> um, but it, it also, when you talk about the different schools, you made me think of something. A parent um, who has two high school age students are at two different schools. An mm. equity surface at those two different schools based on how those schools are resourced and which parents are in those schools. Mm. So that brings to mind another thing we have to consider with equity and as communities are, are, are giving to resources, you know, you definitely want to give to your school and give wherever you want to give and all of that is appreciated. But one of the things I like to see happening is um, EPS Foundation and the way that they really stepped out to, one, provide meals and services um, for families and communities. Um, they're stepping up now with a campaign for 
uh, equity around the digital divide. And they, like when I have, um, not just what's going on, I don't know what's just going on where my kids go, but because we have the PACs, I also hear about what's going on in different schools. And to me, that's how DPS Foundation is. And they can give out resources equitably where those needs are. Um, so I just want to lift that up also when you talk about how do these pods operate in a way that creates equity as someone who can see the bigger picture and not just that pocket. Um, you know, as you all were talking, uh, more and more issues uh, were coming up um, in my mind that you're having to deal with. And, and it is, it's almost breathtaking, all of the different parts of um, um, what's going on in our education system. Uh, I was looking at a report where uh, a teacher was talking about fear of going back to school and, you know, possibly, you know, her children, her family getting infected some teachers uh, opting to not even to give up on teaching, um, um, to take another field at this point. Um, so I, I asked the question out of the magnitude of needs and uh, desires, what do you think is rising up? What, if you had to say these are the top five things that, that are urgent, that we need funding for, that we need resources for, what what would be those five top things, um, if you could name five? I'm sure you could. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> More money for what? How can I spend this? Yes. Um, we need we need to pay our teachers and our staff. Um, we need to pay them. Um, just I think that is highlighted to a lot of people the value that we've already known that teachers have, but some people who may have overlooked it, we got to pay our teachers. And um, with those, you know, in fear, you know, people have to make decisions that's best for them um, and their family situation. That's a lot of people having to make these kind of decisions. Um, but we, as a district, we want to minimize as much risk as possible. And when we look at reevaluating our plan in nine weeks, um, and we need funding around how to minimize those risks with PPE masks, with um, you know disinfectants and cleanings, transportation, all of those factors. You know, hot water in our schools, uh, better ventilation systems in our schools that will all help to minimize the risk um, while we get through this pandemic. Um, that would be number two: paying teachers. Even now, before even we get back into the schools, paying them now. Um, getting the supplies we need to clean and minimize risk within the schools. We need more nurses, social workers, and counselors right away while these kids are online and when they get back into the school. Those would be the top three. Um, I don't know if I can think of two more right now. Um, curriculum, <laughs> uh, things of, you know, we need, um, resources to get with our kids as well. So, yeah. Yeah, I think Javanya hit the ones I was going to say as the top five. I would just add child care, you know, some form of, you know, child care. I know it's, I know, like, I've dealt with um, women, like the job that I had before was working with um, a program that would help women get back on their feet. 
you know, and some of them struggle with substance abuse and stuff. And one of the hardest things was getting a childcare voucher, you know? So I feel like even though I don't know for sure, but I'm sure there are people who don't have childcare because their kids went to school, but now they're home, but now you need childcare and you didn't plan on paying for it. You know, I know paying for childcare for Exodus and Nasiah while I just went to school, while I go to school, Kinder care was about, it was about $1,500 a month. That was kinder care, you know? And so that was for two kids, you know? So I think how, how do we find, um, you know, I know Javanya mentioned the pods, you know, which I'm hoping like, yeah, get the funding, get the money to that because I would add that to the list. Like, the top of the list right now because now people are like dang i need a daycare but i don't that's not in my budget to pay for a weekly daycare yeah well one of the things that we ask all of our guests on this show is um well the theme of the show is who's my neighbor and it's inspired by the good samaritan story where the teacher of the law jesus you know says says to the teacher of the law that you should love your God with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself. And then the teacher of the law challenges him and says, well, who is my neighbor? And Jesus tells the story of the good Samaritan. And we want to ask all of our guests that question is, who is our neighbor right now? Who is the person who uh, is in need and who we should support right now? And how can we love our neighbor right in this moment? Um, for me, definitely my peers, um, maybe even the ones I don't really talk to that much or maybe, yeah. Um, and a way that I can, I can probably, (laughs) a way that I can love them is reach out to them and just like talk to them and make sure they're doing okay. And like, just make sure they're doing good with their schoolwork or make sure they're staying on top of it or just reminding them or yeah, just checking up on them overall. Oh, yeah, I think loving my neighbor is um, right now. I'm really, I, I'm a little biased, but I'm really focused on the kids in McDougal because, you know, I'm kind of close to Ashley Kennedy. She's the president there. So I'm always thinking of them and um, they're kind of having a rough time, you know, um, right now. And so it's going to make going to school extra hard. Um, because, you know, they lost a friend from the community there. He um, he was killed this past week. And so um, I really, with school starting back, I want to make sure those kids get into a pod, you know what I mean? Or get with me, you know, um, get with me, you know, maybe do school at my house or something. Maybe I could swing one or two, you know, I'm going to be in school at night. I'm going to be around during the day, you know, see, like, what do I have time for and who can I grab in? Who can I go give a ride to, you know, um, who can I just call and say, hey, just seeing how how school start that I know in that community. Checking with Ashley, like, is everybody good over here? Who's not thriving with the online platform, you know? And so that's what loving my neighbor is, you know. Picking up a pack of diapers. I did that. Like, I'm getting diapers. Y'all, someone need one? And she's like, yeah, so-and-so, she just had a baby. So, yeah, I'll grab a pack for her, you know, because it's hard out here, you know. And so I really 
want to love on those neighbors right now. So thank you for lifting that up, Tamara. Mm. I, um, you know, for me, it's really been even um, loving and being more intentional connected with my extended family. It's one thing to have my immediate family here with me all the time. Also make sure we're connected because I'm working from home. Kids are, you know, doing different things as well. Um, but what are we doing to still make sure we're taking some special time for ourselves and being intentional and I've done more, you know, just again, reaching out to my extended family as other things around me have slowed down just to check in, make sure they're okay. And our elderly community, you know, those are the ones sure that we're keeping safe distances, we're keeping safe and that their needs are met. Um, my community is my church community is, is everything and every person that I have contact with and magnifying the intentionality of being connected, especially because we're virtual. Because that's where we should be anyway, connected with one another in deep relationship, not just passing by and being busy. So I think, um, you know, just wherever there are those connections happening, making sure they're meaningful, intentional. And when connecting with our community outside of our family, outside of a commu- our church community, but wanting to even expand that network, um, such as in McDougal Terrace, and I think you, you said it perfectly, Tamara, checking in with the leader that's there, with the elder, and following the lead of what that community is saying that they need. Thank you. Amen to that. One of the things that's so powerful to me about the way that y'all responded to that question is it goes back to what you said in the very beginning, Javanya, about the village the village that you grew up in. And a lot of times when we think about loving our neighbors, we can have a tendency to think, what can I individually do to help that one individual who's in need? But there's more of a communal way of understanding that where we all take care of each other. And I'm really grateful for that witness that you that you all have to, to that. And just really grateful for you all being on the show today. This was such a gift. Thanks for having us. Yes. Well, Reynolds, do you have any final comments? If not, I want to thank these lovely ladies for taking time out this morning and sharing yourselves with us. Um, And just be blessed. If it's anything that we can do for you, any way that we can um, uh, share the needs and be a part of the, uh, just be a part of the community. Um, Know that Durham Cares will support you. Um, in the work of education. So keep it up and be blessed. Yes, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. you. Thank you. All right. You all have a great day. The Who Is My Neighbor podcast is a production of Durham Cares, a nonprofit that mobilizes Durham residents to love their neighbors. Learn more at www.durhamcares.org. Be blessed.